0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? Yeah, it feels like that kind of Sunday. It does. Everybody doing all right today? Okay, all right, all right. So that means that like you... Uh, Or like me, you have friends that are on vacation today and you're not there. I know, it's fine. Like, I've got friends that they're all like, the beach is awesome, and, you know, we did this, and we sailed, and we, you know, and I'm not there. So that's fine. I understand how you are today, though. Hey, uh, I'm glad you're here. You've already been welcomed a couple of times, but uh, my name is Jeremy. Um, I was up here a minute ago, but if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm so glad that you're here at Canton Church today. We're thankful that you came to be a part of uh, our gathering here, and uh, and so I'm excited that you're here. You know, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a meeting, and uh, this doesn't always happen to me. I mean, I'm in, in meetings a good bit, but I was sitting in a meeting, and very specifically in that meeting, while I was sitting there, like, I, I just, I mean, I felt like The Lord really spoke into my heart. Now, I don't use that phrase lightly if you've been around here any length of time. I don't say that phrase a lot. I mean, I believe God speaks. I believe God is active and alive in us in present day. Um, But I don't use that phrase like God spoke to me. I I don't hear the voice of God all the time and all that kind of stuff. But I, I really believe I was sitting in this meeting and I really believe that God spoke to me in that meeting. Now, if God can speak in a meeting, like that's amazing Um, because meetings are often boring and we don't love them a lot of times. But I believe that in that moment, this is what God said in my heart, in my spirit. I didn't hear him with my ears. I heard him with my soul. I believe that God said to me, pay attention because you're going to use what you are experiencing right now in this moment at some point in the future. Well, if that doesn't get your attention, I mean, I perked up and I I, got to be honest, I'd kind of skimmed the agenda. And it didn't seem like it was like this God-ordained meeting. Uh, It kind of seemed like the monotonous, you know, every day, okay, we're going to go over this, we're going to go over this, we're going to go over this. But I believe that the Lord said to me, pay attention. At some point in the future, you're going to use what you are experiencing right now. So I perked up. I listened. I paid attention. My, My senses were heightened. And I was listening to the words that were being said and trying to glean from, okay, is that it? Is that what I needed? Is that what I needed to hear? Is that, is that what I'm listening for? I, I watched the way the meeting was being conducted. I wasn't leading the meeting. I was a participant. so I was watching the, meet, the way the meeting was being conducted. I watched the interaction. I watched the way that contributions were made to the agenda. I watched for the way that feedback was given, and I was listening and watching and paying attention, and I went home at the end of the day. At the end of the meeting, I, I still didn't know, like, What exactly was I supposed to gain from what I just experienced? And I went home and I told my wife, I said, Corey, I had the strangest thing today. I was in this meeting and she knew the meeting. We had talked about, hey, I've got this meeting coming up today when I'd left the house that morning. And, 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 And I told her, I said, I was in that meeting and I felt like God spoke to me and said, pay attention. One day you're going to use what you're experiencing right now. And I said, I listened and I watched and I observed. And, you know, I was kind of trying to feel the 90% nonverbal communication that was happening. I was listening to the communication that was taking place, the verbal. I mean, like, and I said, I don't know what it was, but I believe there will come a day at some point in the future when I will use what I experienced today. She was like, That's awesome. That's so great. She's an encourager, that's one of her gifts. She was like, I don't know what it was that you were supposed to hear or supposed to see, but I'll believe with you. I'll pray with you that whenever the moment comes that you need what you experienced today, you'll know it. Flash forward a couple years later. I was sitting in a meeting that I was leading. And we're going around, we're about 30% of the way already through the meeting. It wasn't like I felt this divine, you know, when I woke up that morning, I looked at the calendar and there was a big star and it was highlighted on my calendar like, this is the meeting, this is the moment. But I'm sitting in the meeting, I'm leading this one, and there's some conversation taking place. And while the conversation is happening, I'm not talking in that moment, other people in the meeting are talking. I felt the voice of God again speak to me and say, This is it. This is where you're going to use what you experienced back there. I immediately knew. I knew. I could take my mind all the way back to that first meeting, the conversation, and what I did is I stopped the conversation where we were at and I redirected us. I said, hey, let's pause what we're doing right here and let's talk about this for a second. And it was the most amazing experience, one of the most powerful moments of my personal leadership because in the first meeting... God spoke to me and I knew I would use it, even though I didn't know how. And in the second meeting, God reminded me and I was able to position everything that needed to take place. Now, isn't that the way we want it to happen all the time? Where God speaks clearly. God is very clear to us. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to pay attention to. So that when you get to a future moment, He's like, hey, remember what you paid attention to? Remember what I told you? Use it now. Like, I wish that's the way that it happened all the time with God. Isn't that what we want? But sometimes that's not the way God works in our lives. Sometimes God works in different ways where we have to lean into our discernment, which is just a fancy Bible word that means we're trying to determine what is God and what is not we got to lean into that discernment. we got to lean in with wisdom and go, okay, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? How might I use this? So we walk into every meeting. I'm about to step on some toes here. We walk into every meeting thinking, what if this is the place that God is trying to teach me something? We walk into every moment thinking, I wonder if God wants to use me and use something that I've experienced previously in this moment for His glory. There's a weight to that. There's a pressure to that perhaps. But I wonder if that's not how God is wanting us to live, constantly listening for him, constantly searching for him, listening to conversation around us, wondering if this might be the place that God is speaking to us or if this might be the place that God wants to speak through us to others. You know, author Philip Yancey has a very famous quote that I love. He says, faith is believing in advance would only make sense in reverse. Faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. I'm going to read it one more time because I see several people writing it down. Faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. That's author Philip Yancey. And so often we are asked by God to obey in advance what we don't fully comprehend, what we don't fully understand in that moment but when we get on the other side of it, we look back and we go, oh, that's what you were doing, God. Oh, I see it. I, okay, I get it now. Well, today we are going to continue in this Acts series that we've been in for several weeks. We took a break last week. We had a great day last week. Just a really special day. Pastor Mark and Udella were with us, their final Sunday with us here at Canton as senior pastors. We're going to honor them, pray over them as they take their next step into the future that God's calling them to, to Lee University. They've got two or three more weeks uh, as senior pastors over Mount Perrin North. We're still a part of that church for a few more weeks. And then we're disengaging to become our own church probably by the end of July, looking at at the end of July for that to take place. But just a really special day. But we took a break from our Acts series. So today we want to jump back into that. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to Acts chapter 16. We're skipping ahead. A few weeks ago, we were still in the early part of the book of Acts. and uh, Pastor Trevor had talked about uh, the Apost- Paul uh, there, the Damascus Road experience, the divine interruption several weeks ago. We've looked at uh, Acts chapter 4, we've looked at Acts chapter 2, we've looked at Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. So we've stayed in the early parts, but I want to move in now to the middle portion of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 15, what you have is the Jerusalem Council. We'll actually talk a little bit about that next week. We're going to talk about Acts 15 and 17 next week. But uh, Acts 15, you have the Jerusalem Council, which is a famous portion of the the book of Acts where you have uh, Gentiles who are being saved. Gentiles are those non-Jewish people. They're being saved. And now all the Jews are trying to figure out what are we supposed to make them believe so that they can actually be as true followers as we are. And so what you need to figure out is how much of the law do you have to keep versus how much do you just have to believe in Jesus? And so they're contemplating this, and they come up with a set of criteria. This is what you should believe. And so then you get uh, Paul and Silas. At the end of Acts 15, there's a split. Paul and Barnabas, who have been doing ministry together, they go in different directions. Barnabas takes somebody with him. Paul takes Silas, and they go in a different direction. And now in Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas traveling around doing ministry. And when we come to verse 16 here in Acts chapter 16... We come to a a part of the story where they've been doing ministry and they're now walking into a new town. This is what we begin reading. I'm going to read a, a good chunk of Scripture today, so just kind of hang with me. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. We're going to read about seven or eight verses here. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Let me just pause right there and say, How awesome that the enemies of God are doing the marketing for the people of God. Right? I don't know if that's awesome or just amazing, but it's both, I guess. Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And they had been severely flogged. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, a couple of things that jump out that aren't even really the, the, the meat of what we're talking about today. It's interesting to me that the owners of the girl who had been set free from the spirit that was a part of her, the owners come to the the, the authorities and they say, they're throwing the city into an uproar. Well, maybe they were, but the owners were just upset because they had lost the ability to make money through this girl, right? A little bit of what we talked about during our prayer time just a few minutes ago in worship. You know, it's, it's amazing how one or two voices that come in opposition to you always say that there's a bunch of people behind them that agree with them right? They come to you and they say, we all think you need to. Well, we don't know if we all agree to anything. That guy is upset about what you're doing. That lady doesn't like the way that you're doing whatever you're doing. But it's easier when we create this mob mentality. Well, sure enough, the crowd joins in. They didn't lose their ability to make money, but they get upset too. And they say, yeah, you know, kill these guys. I don't even know what they did. I don't know who they are. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement. Do that, right? Because the mob mentality, they jump on board with what's happening here because the crowd draws a crowd, And so oftentimes what we're afraid of or even our opposition may not be quite as large as we envision it to be. But here what you see is you see this amazing opposition to the gospel. Now, again, depending on your perspective of the current cultural climate in the United States, there definitely is opposition to the gospel. And there's definitely opposition to faith and things of faith and religion and Christianity for sure. But I also want to make sure we have a proper perspective. Very few of us or anyone that we actually know is being persecuted for their faith here in the United States to the point of death, right? Now, again, I'm not saying there's not opposition. I'm not saying that people don't chastise you or come against you for your faith. But very few of us and very few of the people that we actually know here in the United States are facing persecution up to and leading to death or physical harm because of your faith. I'm not saying that won't happen. We believe that it potentially will. But sometimes when we start talking about persecution, people just don't like us. And that's not the true persecution or opposition that we read about in Scripture oftentimes or that is actually happening in other places in the world to our Christian brothers and sisters. So it's important for us to keep a proper perspective about the kind of opposition and persecution that faith may bring against us. But here's the question. If you were to face that kind of opposition or that kind of persecution, is your faith strong enough to withstand it? Is my faith strong enough to withstand the kind of opposition or persecution that would threaten physical harm or death to me? I mean, this is not just tickle my ears kind of preaching today, okay? I realize that. But I'm saying if you were to walk into work tomorrow, you were to walk onto your job site tomorrow, and your boss came to you and said, are you a Christian? And you said, yeah. He said, I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you say yes this time, you lose your job. Or worse than that, I'm going to ask you again, and if you say yes this time, I'm going to beat you with a rod and I'm protected by my legal right to do so. I'm going to take you out in front of this building and we're going to stone you to death. Probably give pause to your answer for a moment, perhaps. Is my faith, is your faith, strong enough to withstand that kind of opposition or persecution? It's a question where we really have to determine How strong is my faith? How strong is my belief? This is not meant to be manipulative today. This is not meant to try to make you feel guilty. It's just a question of searching our hearts and asking ourselves as we align ourselves with the faith that is causing people to lose their lives in this world presently, would we be willing to? Would we be willing to, right? So let's keep reading. So the guy takes them into the inner cell. He fastens their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Now, as I've gotten older, midnight has not seemed quite as late as it did when I was a kid. When I was little, I thought midnight was literally like the darkest hour of the night. Like no one stayed up until midnight, right? Then I married a night owl who doesn't really get going until about 11, 15 at night. She's like, you want to paint the basement? <laughs> what? I want to go to sleep. That's what good people do at this hour of the night, Let's get up early in the morning when the rooster's crowing. Then we'll paint the basement. She's like, no, I'm really, I can't go to sleep. I I mean, I married a night owl and I realized that there are people that stay up until well into the next day. But when I was younger, I remember midnight being like late, right? Tucker's our eight-year-old. Tucker always wants to pull what he calls an all-nighter, which really just means staying up as late as he possibly can. Now, Branson, our 10-year-old, he, he can do it. Like, he could stay up all night long. He is his mother's child. He's a night owl. Tucker's a little bit like me. Like, the first glimmer of sun on the horizon, Tucker's awake. So he tries his best to stay awake until, you know, at least 1030. It's, it's really what he's trying to do. But I remember when I was younger, man, midnight felt late, But the idea here, not just in the literal sense of what time it was, there was a sense of hopelessness here. Not necessarily by Paul and Silas, because we see what they're doing, but the writer here is trying to help us understand that in the middle of the night, the the business of the day, you petitioned yourself to the court in the daytime. You could find freedom in the daytime. People were set free in the daytime. Nobody was set free in the middle of the night. It was dark dark. It was nighttime. They did not have electricity, which means in the prison, which we'll talk about in a second. It was dark. You could just hear the noises of what the prison sounded like. And not just that, if something came creepy crawly on you, somebody came into that prison to get you, you couldn't go anywhere. You were fastened to the stocks in the inner cell and you couldn't go anywhere. There's a sense here that you are stuck. But what are Paul and Silas doing? Singing hymns, and praising God. Again, just another question of contemplation for us today beyond, our, is our faith willing to stand to persecution and opposition? When we're in the darkest, innermost part of the cell of the prisons that the enemy's trying to take us to, do we have the ability to praise and worship and sing to God and declare His goodness? Or is our praise circumstantial? Do we only worship when we feel like it? Do we only sing when the song is right? Do we only feel it when the moment feels right? Or do we have the ability to praise and worship in the midst of some stuff that doesn't feel so good? I would say sometimes in my life, my best worship is done in the midst of adversity. My best worship are in moments of worry and anxiety. Right? I've talked about my kids already several times. I, I preach about them a lot. But man, there's, there's very few nights that somebody doesn't struggle to go to sleep or somebody doesn't wake up in the middle of the night, need something, get scared, have a bad dream, something, that's the stage of life we're in right now. And I realize that it too shall pass and all that and we'll miss it one day. I don't miss it right now, but we'll miss it one day. And, but there are nights, lots of nights during the week. Every week. Every week when one of our four kids gets up and comes to our bed because they're scared or something's happened or, and if they're restless, we'll lay them down in the bed with us, or we'll even take them back to their bed. And almost every single time we'll do what we've done since they were born. We'll sing to them. That's what we do. I remember the day they were born, every single one of them. I would hold them in my arms and rock them and sing them little songs, little lullabies, some of them that you probably sang to your kids, some of them we made up, some of them that are just our family kind of songs, and you've got your family kind of songs, and I would sing to them, and Corey would sing to them, and I remember when they were babies and I would rock them at night, and I would sing to them, and so there's this amazing thing that happens now, even as they're getting older, when they're scared, when I start singing or Corey starts singing, man, their eyes get heavy. My eyes get a little heavy. (laughs) What do they do? It brings peace so they can go to sleep. Do you have that kind of soundtrack? You have a soundtrack of peace in your mind? You have that kind of You know, playlist in your head that when the moments are tough, when you're in the inner sanctum of prison, when you're in moments of worry, when you're in moments of high anxiety, when you're in moments of fear, you've got those go-to songs that you can sing. These are songs that bring in the presence of God into my life. These are songs that bring in the peace of God in my life. Do you have those kind of songs? You have those kind of playlists that you can immediately go back to. I'm not talking about just holding on to tradition. Maybe it's some songs of your past. I'm talking about, you know, this is where God speaks. This is how God moves. This is how God speaks into my life. And so when I need to know the presence of God, these are the songs I go to. It's not a formula. It's not A plus B always equals C. It's just saying, God, I need you now, which is a pretty good song, by the way. You have that kind of soundtrack? Because they started singing, and then I love the end of verse 25 that we just read, and the other prisoners were listening to them. The other prisoners were listening to them. You want to get people's attention in your life? Sing in a situation that doesn't seem song-worthy. You want to get people's attention in your life about how real your faith actually is? Be joyful in the midst of hardship. You want to get people's attention in your life? Have peace in the midst of chaos. People will immediately perk up. What is going on with that guy? What's different about that girl? There's something different about them. And I wrote this down. This is not on the screen. Faith is countercultural because faith in action is not circumstantial. I know there's a bunch of $2 words in there. I'm going to read it again. Faith is countercultural because faith in action is not circumstantial. Here's what I mean. Faith gets people's attention because it's so different because when faith is truly in action, it's not based on what's going on around me. Faith is what we hope for. It's what we want to see. It's what we want to believe. And so when I have faith, when I am faithing in something, it's not circumstantial. It's not based on what I see with my eyes. It's what I see with my soul, what I'm longing for. So I can sing when it doesn't seem like it's song worthy. I can have joy in hardship. I can have peace in the midst of chaos. And when I do, other people are going to listen. They're just going to. Let's keep reading in verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. That doesn't seem right. They hadn't done anything wrong and they were put in prison and the earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison and their their shackles open up and the gates of the prison open up and this is the place where you're supposed to get up and run out. And I can't prove it And so don't hang your theology on what I'm about to say in the next 10 seconds, but what if this was the moment when the voice of God spoke to Paul and Silas like the voice of God spoke to me in that meeting and said, don't go anywhere yet. There's something that's going to happen in a minute that's more important than you getting out of here right now. You're going to need to hang right here for something that's about to happen. And so they didn't get up. They didn't move. The jailer wakes up and he sees that the gates are open and he sees that the shackles seem to be off of all the the prisoners. And and he is convinced, like, okay, they're going to kill me because I've let these prisoners lose. I didn't cause the earthquake, but I let the prisoners lose. And just before he takes his own life, Paul's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, we're still here. We didn't go anywhere. We're right here. Do we trust God enough to stay where we don't want to be? They didn't want to be in prison. Do we trust God enough to stay where we don't want to be if we really believe that this is where God led us? If we really believe that God is in control, if we really believe that God can do something, if there's a reason for why we're here, do we trust God enough to stay? Might there be a greater purpose for our prisons? Let's finish up the story here. Verse 29. 29. The jailer called for the lights, because remember, it was dark. He called for lights. They lit all the torches. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What if it was all a setup? Faith is believing in advance would only make sense in reverse. We just got to the end of the story. We can look at it in reverse. What if the whole thing was a setup? What if... Paul and Silas healing the little girl just because they were annoyed that she kept yelling at them. Healing the little girl, made the owners mad, got them arrested, got them put in prison. Their praise, the earthquake, the shackles coming loose, the jailer being upset but realizing they didn't leave. What if it was all a setup? What if your obedience... Sets a little girl free, but makes her owner mad. You still believe God's in control? Or as soon as somebody gets mad, do you think, well, man, I did something wrong. No, what if if their anger is right in this moment? What if them being upset is right in this moment? Because it's a part of the plan. What if your praise unlocks the gates, but makes the jailer want to hurt himself? What if it's a setup? Are you willing to stay? Are you patient enough to believe that God may be doing something even in a situation you don't want to be in? Here's the big one What if God needs to take you to prison to save the jailer? What if God needs to take me to prison to save the jailer and his whole household? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not asking you to go out and commit a crime because the pastor told you you need to go to jail so we can win the stockyard or the jail yard or whatever to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But what if, what if the things that you think in your life are bad, the bad situations, the moments you don't want to be in, the circumstances that are unpleasant, what if it's all a setup? Do you and I have the kind of faith? Do we have the kind of ability? Do we have the discernment? Do we have that ability to listen for the voice of God and go, this is God, this is not? That even in the midst of bad circumstances, we can discern, but maybe God's still in it. Or do we assume that bad things are all bad and from bad and not good and can't be good and can't be redeemed for good, not from God? Is there any part of us that goes, God, okay, I'm... I made somebody mad. I didn't mean to. I did what I thought was right. I healed a girl that had a spirit in her. I I wasn't trying to make people mad, but I made somebody mad. But is there something that you could do out of their anger? Is there some way that you could be glorified in this? Okay, now I'm in prison, God. I, I I don't know that this is the way I thought you would answer the prayer. But okay, now I'm in prison. And so just in the midst of my prison, I'm just going to praise. I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to sing hymns and songs to you and declare your goodness. And God, be glorified in this. And there's the earthquake. Okay, God, now I see you work. Okay, you want me to stay? You want me to hang right here? Okay, I'm... Okay, God, I'm going to hang right here then. I'm just going to stay right here because maybe there's something else you want to do. And Oh, the jailer, after we've been beaten and flogged and we're bleeding... He washes our wounds. That's a powerful verse that we skipped by. Okay, God, I see you. He wants us to come to his house. You want us to help lead his entire family to the Lord. It was all a setup. I get it now. I get it now. See, stories like this, I believe, serve multiple purposes when we read God's word. But today, my hope as we read this story is that you can get on the backside of this story and look back in reverse and see that it makes sense. It makes sense. Like there's actually something that God was doing all along the way. He was working some things out. He was working some bad things together for the good of those who seek Him. Man, He just seemed to be working it out. You're not a puppet. On a string. You have the ability to choose and to decide. I believe that with all of my heart. But in your obedience, in your faith, are you willing to step out in the beginning and trust God and believe God and walk with God when you're not really sure how he's making sense of it all? Just trusting and believing that when you get on the other side, perhaps, just maybe it will make sense. Now, Philip Yancey said that God did not promise you that you would always know what happened and why it happened and why it happened the way it happened. God didn't promise that. You read the story of Job, you get all the way to the end of the story. God never told Job why all those bad things happened to him. So there is not an assurance that when you get on the backside, you get all of the fill in the blank pieces. There's not that promise. But here's the promise we have. God is in Control. So, do you and I have the ability on the front side just to say, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm believing with you. I'm asking you to help me to be faithful, to be obedient, and walk into circumstances that in the moment seem bad and they seem like I would not put myself here? But, God, I'm trusting you as I'm obedient, as I'm faithful. Would you work these things out for your glory? And if you need to send me to prison so that the jailer and his entire house can be saved, God, I'll go. If you need to send me into the inner cell with my feet shackled to see if I'll worship you there, God, I'll go. If I need to be as faithful and as as obedient as I can, just so some people get a little bit upset, so that you'll know whether or not I can withstand some persecution and some opposition to my faith, I'll do it, God going to trust you on the front end and faith and believe on the front end trusting that you're going to work all things together for good let's bow our head and close our eyes god we thank you today for the chance to serve you i pray today for every person in this place i ask you god to help us to trust you more God, would you help us today to believe that you are working all things together for our good. But it's not just for our good, it's for your greater good. You're writing our story. You're writing a story that's larger than us. And so God, help us today to trust you, to believe in you, to believe on you for the things that are happening. Whenever we find ourselves in circumstances that we would not have positioned ourselves in to begin with, God, that we would trust you and know that you are working these things out, that you have a plan. God, we thank you for that. Give us peace in the midst of chaos. Give us joy in the midst of hardship. God, give us worship in the midst of our worry. Give us prison praise. I believe other people will listen. They'll perk up. God, in those moments, we believe you'll be glorified beyond anything that we could do on our own. Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurch ga.